Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. We're always talking about investing, and we understand that is why so many folks follow us. But we do like to broaden things out and keep life interesting, so we're going to do a mini-series on the 4Fs model for life. Fun, fitness, finance and philosophy. Money is a means to an end for many of us, and while it can help to express who we are, we think at some point all of us should take a look at what makes for a successful life, whether that's as a single person, a parent, a mentor or simply a student of life. So we hope you enjoy this series. It's the 4Fs model for life. Fun Fitness, Finance and Philosophy with me, Pete Wargen and Stephen Moriarty. Cheers. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates, High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here, as always, with Stephen Moriarty. G'day, Steve. How are you, mate? So um, the 4Fs model, just to, to recap, it's, um, it's essentially a mental model that we've put together for living some kind of a balanced life. Most of obviously what we do talk about on this podcast, it relates to investing, but there is of course more to life than just the finance quadrants. And that's why we've got the 4Fs model, fun, fitness, finance, and philosophy. Just as an intro um, before we kick into it, and as an example of why um, a level of balance might be important, I was rereading this week the story of uh, Jim Fix. So if you're not familiar, um, and it seems hard to believe today, given the the fitness craze that has swept the world, but Jim Fix was credited with having uh, hugely popularized the idea of fitness and particularly running in America. So in the mid-1970s, hard to believe today, but running wasn't particularly popular. And uh, Jim Fix was a guy who had lost his own father to a heart attack in his 40s. And uh, he took up uh, running in the belief that that would have a cleansing effect on his system. But he, he focused on running to the detriment of all else. And in fact, he was quite openly critical of doctors who said that running, as somebody who'd been a very heavy smoker, he ate junk food, he ate lots of fat and sugar. Um, he said, well, that doesn't matter as long as you run. And of course, as everybody knows from that story, in the 19, uh, early 1980s, I think it must have been, uh, there was a motorcyclist um, going through Vermont and he found a, a dead body by the side of the road in a running vest and shorts. And that was Jim Fix um, at the age of 52. And uh, it's, it's got a sad story to that finish. Um, I think the autopsy showed that um, he may have been predisposed to a heart attack. But of course, it, it led a lot of people to well, essentially take the piss. You know, uh, there's a lot of sedentary and overweight comedians saying, well, look, that's what happens to you if you run. I think it's much better understood uh, today that actually what you really need is a balance. It's no good focusing on your running to the detriment of everything else in your life. And hence, um, one of the reasons for the 4Fs model, Steve, that you, you don't focus on one area of your life to the exclusion of all else. 
I think that's a really important point. And the other thing is too, and this is what I found with investing, was when you read a lot of the mainstream stuff, you sort of just accept it. You know, like, oh, running's good for you. Oh, right, okay, yeah, good. Okay, well, I'm going to go out and run. I don't know when I told you, it might have been last week or, but when I see people jogging, you know, at the back of my place where I walk, no one ever looks like they're smiling. They always look like they're really, they're really <laughs> struggling. I always sort of think, oh, well, it doesn't look like it's very sort of good to me. But let me just let me just give you one example. I suppose there's a really good book out by a guy called Gary Torbs, and it's it's called Why We Get Fat. And uh, I, I won't go into too much detail, but the the interest there was a really really interesting point. Two interesting points he pointed out. One was. In the early 1900s, when people were obese, what obese, what they prescribed was bed rest, not exercise. And the reason why was because, as you probably know, Pete, exercise stimulates the appetite. And so exercise was actually seen as a negative in terms of weight loss. Exercise, and I think most nutritionists will tell you, you don't exercise to lose weight. There's a, there's a whole raft of other things you should exercise for, but losing weight is not really one of them. So, you know, when you, we talk about balance, it's what you mentioned before about people tend to go overboard on the latest thing and usually to the detriment of them. I know you and I were talking earlier in the week about exercise and stuff and saying, you know, like our bodies are not designed to run marathons. You know, we, that's not the way we were built. We're not even – I played competitive tennis and squash for years um, and really enjoyed it. And the studies also show that even stuff like that is really hard. You know, banging along on a tennis court for an hour or two really knocks around your knees and your bones and your hips and everything else. Yeah, I mean, um, we ran the uh, Sydney Marathon, I guess it was about 15 years ago, and um, that was my wife Heather and I, and it was uh, it was a tremendously hot day for a marathon for that time of year. I think it was like 26 or 27 degrees. I'm sure somebody who was there that day would testify. And even uh, one of the guys who was running the uh, – the, you get these guys that run through uh, – that, that are supposed to run three and a half hours or four hours and, and you followed them. And I, I remember going um, out towards Leichhardt and it was that's the worst part of the Sydney Marathon course. And the guy who was supposedly running the four-hour time was lying there cactus by the side of the road. That's how, how warm it was. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Heather had real problems with her knees after running the marathon. And although we were pleased that we did it, largely because we can just say we've run a marathon, it's, it's not a very natural act. And as, as you say, uh I remember playing uh, cricket as a youngster and the coach would say, uh, especially in England, they used to say, well, you run up to bowl, you, you twist 90 degrees and then you, <laughs> you try and hurl the projectile down the pitch. It's, it's a very unnatural thing for a human body to do. Um, so I, I guess a big part of our 4Fs model is it's largely about developing your own model. It's not an instruction. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be much good you coming up to me, Steve, and say, well, Pete, okay, the fitness part of the 4Fs, you need to do uh, – 300 power squats a day because with my sciatic nerve I'll probably be uh, laid up in bed pretty quickly uh, the idea is to find something that works for you and as you pointed out there uh, particularly when it comes to the the uh, fitness part of the four f's um, 
if you've got something that you don't enjoy, uh, you might do it for a period of time, but you're most likely not going to stick with it. Yeah, it. Um, well, uh, all the gyms will tell you, you know, they love January because everyone does the New Year's Eve resolution of I'm going to join a gym. They go for a couple of weeks and then, you know, the um, membership lapses. The idea of balance is sort of saying, you know, Jim Fix didn't really, I, I think, understand how you weigh things. And, you know, we tend to think of balance as 50-50 and it's the same with average. You know, you hear a lot, you know, what does the average person think? But the average is an agglomeration of, you know, 100 people. So there's no such thing really as saying, oh, the average person thinks X. And what you find is, is, as you and I talk about in markets, you know, the balanced portfolio is 60 stocks and 40 in bonds. You know, that's the balanced portfolio. But if the market's horrendously expensive, that's not really a great balanced portfolio. You know, you really want to be 80, 20, 80 in bonds and 20 in stocks or something. So it's really important just to understand that balance doesn't mean 50-50 and the, the, the important, the sort of underlying philosophy is because our life is dynamic and, and it just is forever changing and stuff, you've got to sort of, I suppose, rebalance or you've got to have a balance within the current context. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, that properly. You know, the balanced diet. What they're now discovering is, no, 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 you actually don't want to be eating five or six times a day because that puts, uh, you know, that's, again, not what we were designed for. We were designed for periods where we didn't have a lot of food at all, which was sort of like fasting. Then we'd have a big meal and then we might need again for another 14 or 15 hours, whereas we look at that and go, oh, no, no, you've got to have a balanced diet, which means you've got to have a certain amount of protein, a certain amount of carbohydrates and a certain amount of fat. But that's actually not the case. Yeah, I think um, it might a better way to look at it instead of uh, balanced might be not not to be unbalanced. I, I think uh, you know if you take finance as an example, in one sense it, it has never been easier to get a, a balanced exposure to asset classes because of the rise of ETFs. You yeah. know, if you want to have a ten percent exposure to gold and ten uh, percent exposure to energy or 10% exposure somewhere else, it's actually, relatively speaking, much easier to do than it used to be. I guess the challenge is that for most people, real life doesn't work like that. We leave um, education or higher education. Uh, a lot of people buy a first home and then you've got a mortgage. Um, then, you know, you might, uh, certainly in my case, you know, we uh, you go through a de facto relationship or two and then you know, then we sort of start cohabiting and we've already got a property each and then you buy a third one and then you've got, you know, you've got a mortgage here and a mortgage there. You know, it's not, um, it's very rarely is it that these things as clean cut as they seem. Yes. And um, the the idea of having a a totally or perfectly balanced portfolio, look, it might work for somebody who rents and doesn't have sort of a place of residence, but but for a lot of us, the uh, the idea of having something perfectly in balance is unrealistic, but also it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And the same would apply to the 4Fs model in general. Yeah, the other point I wanted to make about balance is too, you, you get into thinking, and this sort of leads us into distributions, but you have to think about linear and nonlinear relationships. You know, like I was talking to a guy, oh, this is a couple of years ago, I think about the gym, you know, and he said, well, you know, it's sort of, 
the old one in in, fit, in food is, you know, calories in, calories out type of thing. There's a linear relationship. Um, and he was talking about the gym and was sort of like, well, you know, no pain, no gain and all that sort of thing. And I said to him, well, is, is it sort of like a linear relationship? And he said, well, if you put in the work, you get the results. And I said, well, so are you telling me that if I bench press for 24 hours straight that I'll have a chest like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Because that's a, you know, that's a linear relationship. And what you find is that's not actually what happens. And as most of the, the sort of bodybuilding fraternity will tell you, the resting part is really, really important. And now, again, they're discovering that, you know, you don't need to do a lot of heavy exercise to get benefit. And it may be um, it may be as low as you know five or ten minutes a week, so long as it's really intense. So again, you've got to break out of that idea of you know that linear sort of thing. Like oh well, you have to you have to exercise every day, and it's like well no, that's not that's not the way our bodies are really designed to work. They're designed to have long periods of rest, then a burst of intense activity. And then more rest. So it's not that constant, you know, oh, I've got to I've got to do it every day and do it really heavy sort of routine. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think when it comes to exercise, I've found that especially once once I started working for myself, you know, you go through periods where you're getting really annoyed or you're getting down with the world. And I've always found that just going for half an hour's walk or a run, not only does it clear the head, it gets you breathing. Yeah. Uh, and you almost almost invariably feel much better afterwards and i've also found that you very rarely have good ideas when you're sitting in front of a laptop or on twitter you know like the good <laughs> ideas tend to happen you know when you when you're either out having a jog or gardening or doing something else um i think that uh, the idea of um intensity has changed a lot i used to have a personal trainer who said you know you, you see it would be people would be staggered what you can achieve with just a couple of half an hour uh, Session, exercise yeah. sessions in a week yeah and he actually did it. He, he uh, deliberately got out of shape and then changed his body shape back, like like you wouldn't believe in three or four months. And uh, I've seen uh, Tim Ferriss on his podcast show what you can do with very intense periods of exercise. So I think um, that, that that's um, the understanding of that has changed over the years. So one of the key characteristics then um, about the four Fs model is this idea of distributions and it being important to understand what type of distribution you're working with. So in particular, Steve, the difference between power law results and a normal distribution. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between the two and why it's important to understand them. The benefit of distributions or understanding things like height and weight over many people corresponds to a normal distribution. Most people would know that as the bell curve, right? So, but there's power law distributions are other things such as, for example, earthquakes, right? You've got the Richter scale and they, they scale up, so to speak. First, what you want to do is in the, if the fun, fitness, finance and philosophy, you want to work out what the model is or what the distribution is. So as I sort of talk about fitness, for example, it's mainly sort of what is, is, is called a punch-weighted equilibrium thing. And what I mean by that is that was a, an evolutionary discovery by um, Stephen Jay Gould. And what he said was there were long periods in the Earth's history where basically not much happened. And then there was this punctuated part, which is, you know, in Earth times about 100,000 years, where lots of activity happened. 
So it's a little bit like that heartbeat where you it flatlines and then it goes beep and then it flatlines again. So the reason why that's important because if you think about finance, which is, you know, our favourite topic, you've got to think about the distributions of how you're working and what your returns are. So what we know is in the short term, it's fairly sort of random, but you get this momentum and that can that can be a little bit like a power law with sort of trend following and that sort of stuff. Whereas over the long term, we know there's mean reversion and we know that, that over the long term, markets conform to a normal distribution, meaning there's the average of 8%. So you can work either side of that like we do with the CAPE ratio. So it's really important in a lot of things to work out which distribution you're in and then develop a model from there. Yeah, so this idea of power laws comes up in economics all the time, right? So yeah. uh, I think when, you, when you're looking at demographics, for example, the population size of a city, there's this idea of the uh, ZIPS law. Now, Australia doesn't really fit this model very well, but if you look to United Kingdom, uh, London is at least twice as big as Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, New York is at least twice as big as LA. Moscow is twice as big as St. Petersburg. And the, you see those patterns um, even down at the, the county or state level, you see those patterns yeah. recurring. And it's the same, I don't know, if you looked at um, uh, the price of art, for example, uh, you know, there's a whole load of art that sells for not very much or nothing. And then there's a few artists who command absolutely yes. ridiculous prices and I think when it comes to uh, finance, um, I guess by the end of this cycle, Australia's household wealth might be about, I, I guess it's heading towards $15 trillion, which kind of implies that every single person should have $600,000, including <laughs> kids and, <laughs> and you know people who are destitute, but also people at the top. You know, and it, Of course, that, that's not the way the distribution works in economics. You, you tend to get some people like uh, Andrew Forrest who will have many billions of dollars and other people who just been born who have nothing um so when it comes to finance then um as you said there's really two states there's momentum uh when things are well markets are powering higher essentially and then you get mean reversion when things go yeah. back to normal i i think you mentioned on when we did the warren buffett mini series that that concept of you only need to get rich once um and then once you've achieved that you don't really need to then do it it's all about uh, not doing anything stupid and continuing uh, just continuing to compound the results without losing money. Uh, what about uh, the idea of uh, distributions as it uh, relates to, for example, fun or fitness? Uh, I guess with um, with fun, it's not like the person that you know the happiest person doesn't have all the fun. And uh, you know, I guess when it comes to things like happiness, I guess the general goal would be to aim for an eight or nine out of ten rather than uh, trying to uh, trying to have huge amounts of fun all the time. Yeah, it, it's again gets back to that. If you understand the, the distributions, what you realise is you, you can't really have fun all the time. There are periods where you have a lot of fun, but it comes in a sort of burst. You know, there was, a, I think it was probably 20 odd years ago, they kicked off this happiness industry, you know, where the big thing was about happy. You know, how do we make people happy and that sort of thing? And it became a real industry unto itself. And then it sort of evolved over time, and I think a lot more, a lot, a lot of people realise that happiness, is, for a start, is a really slippery concept. You know, because what might make you happy is not the same as what makes me happy. 
And so, again, this is where it gets back to the philosophy part where, you know, we talk about the nine types and sort of say, well, because there's different types of people, there's different things that make you happy. Fun is one of those. You know, I mean, I think we everybody's probably met a person who seems to just be not very much fun. You know, like they're just a bit of a serious people. I know generally, and I could be wrong here, but I think Germans apparently have got a bit of a reputation for being very serious people, you know, not having a lot of fun. But I think in terms of distributions, it's more spontaneous and so therefore it's it's more like a power law and you get that network effect, you know, where if you're at the pub, it's hard to be miserable if everybody else is having a good time. You know, you sort of just you get infected and, you know, you start having fun. The thing I think it makes it important is there's there's always, I think anyway, it's always about people. That's the sort of key to that sort of part of your life is to make sure that there's people that you can have fun with. Yeah, I guess that's the whole point of the 4Fs model, right, is it, it's different uh, for different people. So I'm a chartered accountant, for example, by profession, and there's plenty of people there who you would say you'd look at them and go, gee whiz, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they don't look like fun people or they don't what look like they ever have are. any fun. <laughs> yeah, but of course, you know, what what makes one person happy in terms of a process-driven job uh, might be hell for another person, hence why the 4Fs model is designed as a mental model that you populate, it's not it's not an instruction. Yes. Uh, interestingly, I did actually live in Germany when I was about sixteen. The I mean, the, I think it's probably a misunderstanding. Really, the uh, I think the, the the sense of humour is very dry. But I can also tell you, uh, having been to the Oktoberfest and uh, as a uh, being uh, legally allowed to drink at the age of sixteen, they certainly know how to have a bit of fun as well. I think it's. Um, I, th- I think the idea of as well um, on the balance side of things. I mean, you know, I, I had a good crack when I was at university about trying to have fun a hundred percent of the time, and and that's just not how it works, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you know, you can't. You need uh, you need a sense of balance. So a couple of the other uh, characteristics of the four Fs model. Then uh, one is dynamism, and another is discipline. So in terms of um, being dynamic, not um, static. I mean. This is an important point because we actually change as we go through life. You know, I think um, what I find fun these days might not have been the same as 20 years ago. Uh, but it's also, I mean, take the example of finance. Um, I think it was Morgan Housel who showed that um, you've got to be dynamic because things change over time. Yeah. And he said, you know, if you were somebody who was born in, say, 1950 or 1960, you'd have seen very long periods of time there when you were in your teens and early 20s where stock markets basically did nothing. And yet for somebody who was born in, say, 1970, uh, through your teens and early 20s, you've seen stock markets go up, well, tenfold, essentially. So uh, that that would actually change your view of the world. Uh, The same applies to things like inflation. You know, we've, um, since uh, the early 1990s, I think a lot of uh, certainly in terms of consumer prices, there hasn't really been high inflation, whereas um, for our parents' generation, uh, things were very different. So I guess that just underscores that um, you do need to be dynamic and not static, uh, partly because you change, uh, but also because the environment around us changes over time. Yeah, I, I think this is a really important principle because often when we talk, you think about finance, you know, a lot of people um, choose that static sort of approach, which I think is a buy and hold approach. 
which is, you know, I'll oh, buy and hold works and you never change your opinion. You don't need to update anything for any information. Uh, you don't worry about valuation or any of those sort of models or any of those sort of tools, I should say, sorry, because, you know, we've got this one approach. But it's a little bit like living in the Stone Age, in, in my mind, to think that you can look at one tool and it works for every single time. And I think that the other part is what you often find is this view of we tend to live in the here and now. And, and again, like you were saying before, you know, if you've got a dynamic view, you tend to look more broadly or more a wider view. Um, and I think that's really important because in markets, for example, you get you get the valuation changes if you take an approach which is, oh, it doesn't really matter, I'm just a buy and hold for the long term. It, it to me doesn't make any sense. You should, like you say, adapt your view for what's going on around you. And I think a lot of the time if you sit down and understand, and this ties back into distributions, if you sit down and understand about randomness and random events and black swans and all that sort of thing, what you get to realise is having a static position doesn't really make much sense um, and it, it can actually be quite confronting because once you figure out how much randomness there is in the world, you actually see that you don't have a lot of uh, control over a lot of things. So it's it's really important that you keep a dynamic view across all of those, you know, those four areas, like we were talking about before with fitness. If the, if they update it, I mean, as, as you and I know, Pete, 30, even sort of partly now, they're still banging on about, you know, you've got to eat carbohydrates and little meat and, you know, little fat, whereas all the research now is saying, no, 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 that's not the way it works. And the interesting part I wanted to mention was, and what you were saying before about personal training is, a lot of the research was driven by economics and self-interest of industry research. If they said to you, look, Pete, you can do 10 minutes twice a week, why would you hire a personal trainer? You know, if that, and like we say to people, we can teach you to invest yourself. Well, why would you hire a financial advisor? The idea is to say, oh, no, 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 there's all these areas of expertise and, you know, you people who don't understand can't do it yourself. You've got to have an expert on view, on board. Whereas really when you look at it, experts are usually two or three steps behind the latest research because they've stuck they're stuck in a static view of economics, you know, equilibrium theory, all of those sort of areas where as new information comes through, there's a period of time where there's a backlash against the current, you know, the new way of thinking. And the and a rear guard action by the old guard. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember sitting in the back of the car as a kid when my parents used to smoke with the windows up, and I used to think, "Gee whiz, this is no good. I could hardly breathe." <laughs> and uh, then you get on the school bus, and you couldn't even see the roof of the bus because there was that much smoke. And yeah. uh, you know, I think I think now we all understand that that is not good for kids. But uh, at the time, it wasn't really considered that important, and that's not even that long ago. And I think the same can hold true with nutrition. I think uh, I've discovered um, by dropping processed sugar out of my diet, you know, it's just I feel infinitely better for yeah, it. But yeah. uh, the new nutrition advice, you know, there's a lot of vested interests when it comes to things like smoking and sugar, 
uh, even uh, dare I say it, uh, the uh, the meat industry as a as a vegetarian. But yeah, I guess the uh, as you said, the the point is um, here uh, just on dynamism and not just holding a static view. And you know, like when it comes to finance, for example, you know your life changes uh, and your priorities change. You see. Um, now we've got a, a few properties in Sydney, which my plan was to never sell, but now I've got kids in my ear saying uh, Ruby wants to hit golf balls and Stanley wants a football pitch. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, offloading a property to get somewhere with more land that we can build on, um, you know, that that's just a dynamic view. Your life changes as you go through. Yeah. Uh, same as you mentioned with fitness, you know, uh, I think if you did the same exercise every day for 40 years, your body would get very used to that idea and it probably wouldn't uh, continue to respond which is why i guess when personal trainers tell you to do weight training they tell you to mix it up uh, yes. to you get you know your body gets used to the same exercise but uh, as you said right back at the beginning there it's important to find something that you enjoy because you're more likely to stick with it um, yes so um, the final characteristic for today then is uh, discipline so what we're going to do uh, next week is talk about a few more of the characteristics and then we'll go through each of the four F's in turn to help you uh, populate your four F's model, fun, fitness, finance and philosophy. Uh, the final characteristic for today, discipline, which is a, a co- common characteristic in probably most of our lives. Without some level of discipline, you wouldn't get very far. I think, you know, we know that discipline is important in finance because you're talking about career progression uh, spending less than you earn and investing the difference and you know sticking with it and so on i think uh, discipline has a lot of other benefits um as well just for for us as people i think it, it gives you focus respect and self-confidence self-control but it, it also has it tends to have benefits for being healthy active you know you, you tend to have more time and less stress so uh, how does uh, discipline as a characteristic f- uh, fit into uh, fun fitness and finance for example um, yeah, by, by take finance first, you know, you and I mentor people about the eight principles. It's a discipline of sticking to that method. We did a series before this one on Warren Buffett, you know, and but what we what we know is that he's been incredibly disciplined over the last seventy odd years in terms of using the um, that model that he has um, of success. Um, straight, I was just thinking, strangely enough, he's used to discipline in drinking a lot of Coke and eating crap food every day. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we've killed it on that point. Um, speaking it's of all fitness, in the marketing. Yeah. yeah, it's all in the marketing. Um, you know, the discipline in fitness, and it's, a, it's often a tricky one because, you know, you hear this thing about, oh, you've got to be disciplined, you've got to be disciplined, and it's, you've got to see that some people get so disciplined that they overtrain and end up injuring themselves. And the other thing about that is, you know, discipline usually denotes a routine. You know, right, so I've got to, I've got to train, um, you know, Monday, Wednesday and Friday and Tuesday and Thursday I'll go for a walk. And that sets a schedule and which uh, gets back to what you were talking about just before about saying your body starts to get used to it. And what happens, as most of you, uh, most people know, you get really quick results, and then the results start to taper off, and it's really hard to maintain the discipline. Um, I know, as a type seven, when it comes to exercise and and doing my weights routine, I'm absolutely hopeless. What I've discovered is, Steve, just go and do some weights. Don't you know? Don't worry about. Oh, this day's got to be bench pressing. 
you know, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. I, I often get in there and go, oh, well, I'll just do what I feel like. And so long as I've done something that it's usually, you know, beneficial, but I don't have an aim with weight training to, you know, get bigger or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the discipline for me is not as rigorous, but it's it's also much more unstructured, you know. So it's just it, it depends how it works for every person. And as, as we say, Pete, you've got to find out something that works for you. And what that means, the really important bit is sort of saying, look, don't just get caught in the mainstream and go, oh, well, you know, if I can't exercise five days a week, I might as well not bother because that's not really the way it is. What you often find is, even broadly, is you find it's about intensity. You know, and you know this in investing. You don't buy 25 properties at once. Investing in stocks, what you have is the opposite thing, where you do buy a lot of stocks and then you sit and wait. Whereas with property, you might buy it over, you know, build a property portfolio over 5, 10 or 15 years. With stocks, you might buy a lot of stocks at once and then not do, hopefully, not do much for a while and then sell them. And so there's different, those different models and distributions are what you want to think about in each of the areas. Yeah, I think when, it, when we're talking about discipline in finance, what, what we're really talking about is uh, sticking to a plan and a method, which is where the eight, the eight principles, the eight timeless principles of investing come in. Essentially, if you stick to the eight principles, if you don't wander off into uncharted territory, I mean, history shows you will, if you stick to that discipline, you'll do just fine. I think um, discipline, as you said, as it, as it relates to, for example, fun or fitness, I mean, it, it's more, uh, it's not necessarily about improvement for every single person. It's about uh, doing something you enjoy. And if you're in a bad mood, as I, I'm periodically prone to be, uh, as anyone who's lived with me will testify. I mean, I, I've said to, uh, to Heather, I, I know myself well enough now. If you see me in a grouchy mood, just send me out to go for a walk or a run because yeah. I know within half an hour or 45 minutes, um, I'll feel a whole lot better about the world just by simply getting out and moving and exercising. I think it's something that um, Tony Robbins talks about. It's change your state. You know, if you're in a yeah. flat mood or in a bad mood, you just need to have a, a list of ways to change your state, whether that's uh, by finding something fun to do or just simply moving and exercising can be a powerful way to do that. So discipline uh, is the final of one of the characteristics today of our 4Fs model. So, uh, Steve, next week we'll talk about a few more of the characteristics of the 4Fs uh, model before we go about uh, going through each of the 4Fs in turn uh, and populating that model, if you like, that mental model. So our goal really in this uh, mini-series um, is uh, to to help you develop that mental model. I think we've all got a rough idea of what we'd like to do in life, but the 4Fs model is just a way to bring it together into some kind of coherent mental model uh, that you can stick with. And as we said, uh, it's different for every person. It's more about finding something which works for you. Yeah. Thanks for joining everyone today, and we'll see you next week for the next episode in our 4Fs mini-series. Cheers. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. 
The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.